colonialism along with capitalism causes climate change. We can't just say that colonialism is a thing of the past. You can't deal with the climate crisis without dealing with these, these systems of power. Fossil fuel companies, part of the most profitable industry the world has ever seen, got this money from subjugating the global south just as much as they got it from oil and gas. All the corporations that are wrecking the global south are headquartered in the UK. We have a special duty to do our part in the global fight for climate justice. Global justice means getting to the root causes of how these systems were created and what they're doing and fighting with the people who are the most affected. If we begin to build those links from activists in the global south, this is something that can build up for a whole new kind of movement. This is a time to change everything. We can get to the root of tackling it. We can deal with all these things together. and we are running out of time. We're looking at mass starvation within 10 years. The reality is we're sleepwalking into a catastrophe. Change is coming, whether you like it or not. You're listening to the Extinction Rebellion podcast. I'm Marine Vandergeer. And I'm Jessica Townsend. And we are with a live audience as part of XR's Decolonize, Decarbonize program at Vault Festival. We're recording this in Vault's Time for Change space, right in the heart of the festival, which has many shows going on at once. So you may hear some other sounds bleeding into the interview. So we're in an installation space in association with Restless Development and also Staging Change. Um, so do look them up for more information. Decolonize, Decarbonize is a series of talks and panels with the focus on decolonization and climate justice. And we are thrilled today that we have two speakers who are working in this area of global justice, Rosanna Wiseman and Cameron Joshi. And they're here from Global Justice Now. Would you mind explaining what the, your organization does? So Global Justice Now um, works on different social and economic justice issues, uh, tackling the root causes of poverty. So, um, yeah, we've been going on since about the 70s and we do different campaigns around like trade justice, um, climate justice, and also we're focusing a lot about um, freedom of movement at the moment. And I personally work it, with the youth network. So we go into different universities, we work with young people across the country and we set up autonomous groups, getting young people to talk about these issues um, and to campaign on them. I'd say just to add to that, that you could say our motto is solidarity, not charity. And what are, what's your role, Cameron? I work uh, with Rosanna on the youth activism team. So we do quite similar jobs trying to get young people involved in activism around all these issues. So, so we're here today at Vault Festival. Um, this is the Extinction Rebellion part of the festival, so to speak. Um, and it's decolonize, decarbonize. Um, what is the link between colonialism and climate change, Cameron? Well, I'd say that colonialism along with capitalism causes climate change. 
So if you look at uh, past examples, you can see that, for example, in the Belgian Congo in the 19th century, Belgian Congo was uh, the modern day uh, Republic of the Congo, and it was controlled by the King of Belgium at the time, Leopold II, as his private kingdom. And the Belgians used it to ruthlessly extract raw materials like rubber and timber. And to do this, they would cut the hands off of any Congolese people who wouldn't meet their quotas. And this extreme brutality resulted in the deaths of half of the entire population of the Congo. And it also was the same mentality and system which led to a huge widespread deforestation of the Congo, which has impacts that last till today. I think in that example, you can see that the systems that steal wealth from the global south, the global south being another name for developing countries, the systems that steal that wealth cause climate change. Uh, if I give you a fact that shows this, over $2 trillion in wealth uh, is transferred from the global south to the global north every single year, and that's a net term. So that is $2 trillion more than any aid or any investment that goes the other way. And it's, it's extraordinary. And most of that money comes from the extractive industry, and these are the same industries that cause half of all global emissions and 80% of all biodiversity loss. Do you mind if I ask a subsidiary question to that? It was very moving what you said about the Belgian situation, but many people might say colonies haven't existed for a long time, so why is it relevant now? I'd say the system of colonisation or imperialism does definitely still exist. So if you think about what the aim of having colonies was... It was to subjugate entire societies so that their materials could be taken from them very cheaply. This still goes on. So I think one of the most potent examples that I heard was in the 90s in Ogoniland, which is a region in Nigeria, in the Niger Delta, which used to be an extremely biodiverse place on the planet. Um, Shell, the oil company, uh, discovered oil there when it was still a British colony. And even though Nigeria became independent, Shell's thirst for oil didn't stop they still clamped down on indigenous resistance and the Agoni people. And in a famous case in the 90s, the Nigerian government, uh, the Nigerian judiciary uh, sentenced Ken Sarawiwa, who was uh, a charismatic local activist, to death, along with eight other people, for protesting Shell's extraction uh, projects. And this is something that happens all the time. Every year, hundreds of land defenders, so in people who are environmental activists defending their land, their homes, they are killed. They're killed by uh, criminal gangs at the pay of, like, of people who benefit from these projects. They're killed by uh, corporate thugs and, and private security. Um, and, and this just goes on. Mm. This is what I'd call modern colonialism. Rosanna, I think you had a point. Yeah, just to add to that... Um, Right now, right today, we've got colonialism happening in uh, Canada. So I don't know if you know about, um, there's a pipeline that um, the Canadian government and um, corporations are trying to build over indigenous lands. And the indigenous people are fighting back. They're blocking railways. Um, they're fighting together with uh, the non-indigenous people in Canada. This is like a very real example of solidarity. Um, and here in, in London, actually, there's protests going on 
um, pe people have blocked uh, the entrance of one of the offices of the corporations that are linked to this pipeline. And so, yeah, it's we can't just say that colonialism is a thing of the past. I think now we see neo-colonialism, which links together corporations um, and governments, and together they are um, yeah, still trying to destroy indigenous lands and um, still trying to extract fossil fuels. A little known fact about the colonial era is that, of course, uh, European nations uh, literally and physically took over different countries in the global south. But this takeover was often led by corporations then as it is now. Mm. So while now we don't have formal colonies, we do have the same extraction of materials, resources and money. And this isn't a sort of side concern. To give you an example of the scale of this, all of the uh, under 30 oil companies on the FTSE 100 stock exchange uh, metric, their combined value on the stock exchange is more than the GDP of the entire of sub-Saharan Africa. These companies, fossil fuel companies, that is, are the most part of the most profitable industry the world has ever seen. And they got this money from subjugating the global south just as much as they got it from oil and gas. Mm. Uh, Rosanna, what would you say global justice is then? Global justice is recognising that there are these systems, um, capitalism and colonialism, that are creating um, the climate crisis, are cr creating a crisis of poverty, also um, have created the, the so-called migrant crisis. Uh, so global justice would mean um, justice for these people who are most affected by these systems. It means um, getting to the root causes of um, how these systems were created and what they're doing and fighting with the people and lis listening to the people who are the most affected, um, standing in solidarity with them. So yeah, we say social justice, economic justice um, and trade justice would be um, included in this whole global justice and climate justice, of course. And what would you say to people, just as a little follow-on question, who say, hang on, we're trying to deal with a climate crisis. How can we deal with everything all at once? Um, I would say you can't deal with the climate crisis without um, dealing with these, these systems of power. If we don't change now, we, we will all maybe face extinction. Of obviously, some people more than others will be more, um, affected. And so if we have so much wealth here in the North, we either we need to deal with seriously um, redistributing it in a, in a fair way, not just... Um, through, I would say, neo-colonial systems as well, like the IMF and the World Bank. But um, yeah, we have to fight fight together. F like, if you are here in in the global north, you need to be putting pressure on on your um, governments to to really d redistribute the wealth. Also, um, uh, um, migration is a form of reparations. If people are coming from from countries that have been affected um, by colonialism and and they are coming to to the global north, that is a um, a very like tangible way that they are getting back the wealth that has been stolen. Um, so yeah, I think it is up to people in the global north to stand in solidarity, which also means standing together, also just get, getting more knowledgeable about it. We're not really taught about colonialism in school. Um, we have we have the wonderful internet, which can teach you more, <laughs> but you also have um, uh, yeah talks like this. There's also workshops, there's amazing books that you can look into. Um, maybe we'll be talking about that yeah, more. Yeah, definitely. The climate crisis and the way it's going to affect the global south is is absolutely catastrophic. Um, and if and 
global inequality plays into it heavily. So if you look at the example of Bangladesh and the Netherlands, both countries are sitting under, under sea level, basically. But one country is thinking about building dikes, even floating cities, to try and stave off uh, flooding. And the other country of 160 million people, that being Bangladesh, these people have no protection. Their livelihoods will be gone. And we're going to see in the next few decades an estimated 500 million uh, refugees that will be caused by the climate crisis. And if you think about how Europe has dealt so badly, criminally, with Syrian refugees, only a few million of whom, of whom have actually tried to make it to Europe, then think about what we're going to, uh, how the world is going to uh, be able to accommodate and actually save people who are going to have to flee their homes in the hundreds of millions. We really have to think about more issues than just ones we, um, we typically associate with climate and environmentalism. I think... Mm, like Naomi Klein says it quite well she's she's got a book um this changes everything and she says actually obviously it's a dark time but let's let's see the the light in it let's this is a time to change everything as long as we yeah open our eyes to it and we we have conversations like this we can get to to the root of tackling it we can deal with all these things together but I think um if if we have a movement that isn't recognizing that then we, we aren't gonna and we got, we aren't gonna tackle anything at the end of the day. All of the corpor all the corporations that are doing this to the climate and and wrecking the global south are headquartered in the UK. Like the extraordinary amount of extractive industries, metals and mining industries, law firms that cover for them, lobbying agencies that do their dirty work in politics, are headquartered. An extraordinary amount of them are headquartered in London and in the United States. Like we have a special duty to to. Um, do our part in the global fight for climate justice. I think that gets us quite nicely to this term that is floated around quite a lot as well, called green colonialism. Yeah. Um, well, I guess not many people uh, in Extinction Rebellion maybe might know, know what green colonialism is. So green colonialism is looking at a world where we transition from fossil fuels, but we don't deal with um, the ongoing colonialism. So if we do transition from fossil fuels, the amount of renewable energies technologies we'll need to create, build, and mass produce will increase the amount of mining in the world from mining about 79 billion tonnes of resources to 167 billion tonnes of resources. All this mining and metal extraction is done usually on land stolen from people in the global south. And the same corporations that are causing half of all global emissions in extractivism and extracting minerals and resources are looking to uh, take more uh, land in the global south by force if necessary, as they sometimes do, in order to build bigger lithium mines, mines for coltan and whatever metals we need, because they're trying to take advantage of the need to transition from fossil fuels. And if we don't uh, check their power, we're gonna, grow, we're gonna transition to a world in which we might not have fo uh, a dependency on fossil fuels, but we will still be destroying the environment and we will still be destroying the global south. Um, yeah, I think that links into uh, what we said at the beginning, which is capitalism and colonialism leads to the climate crisis and you need to deal with both those systems. Um, so yeah, we need to deal with yeah, capitalism and its insatiable need for growth. Um, there are alternative ways of, of looking at how we can measure 
um, progress. So at the moment we measure progress in like in GDP and constantly needing to to grow our economy. Um, there is this theory called degrowth. Um, Jason Hickel talks about that a lot, um, and it's talking about how we can yeah, measure human progress in a way that isn't um, reliant on continually making a profit and that that's the issue if we just have um these companies these corporations that led to the that helped them yeah create the climate crisis we just let them deal with making renewables um they're continually going to need more land to have the wind turbines or the solar panels if we don't also deal with the fact that we don't need to be continually making things we don't need to be continually consuming there mm. are other ways of um of living mm. so um i think it's really great that you brought that up because i think as well you know with extinction rebellion it's not just the climate emergency it's the climate and ecological emergency having the biodiversity aspect so important but it needs to have that global justice element of it as well and cameron you're also involved in something called global justice rebellion what is it and uh, and how are you involved so global justice rebellion is actually a coalition of groups and they were brought together by a need to engage with XR. So some groups are part of XR, like XR Youth and Disabled Rebels, others are not. Um, and uh, I'm one of the coordinators for Global Justice Rebellion and we basically, um, we act at the same time as XR's rebellions. Uh, and we sometimes coordinate with XR, but we seek uh, to embed global justice and solidarity of the global south into everything we do and the demands we make because we realise that's what's necessary to fight the climate crisis. So as a follow-on to that, um, what are the lacks that you see within XR uh, at the moment from your angle? Well, there's been a lot of critique of XR, but one thing that we have obviously just been talking about a lot is that we need a demand that focuses on justice and on the need to change the systems that are really causing the climate crisis. So in XR USA, they've added a fourth demand and I've got the text here. The highlights are that the demand is for a just transition that prioritizes the most vulnerable people, establishes reparations and remediations and repairs the effects ongoing ecocide. So this is about um, repairing hundreds of years of environmental injustice and that aspect of colonialism. And that if we don't do and don't tackle, we'll simply continue. Um, and do you both within um, uh, the Global Rebellion and uh, in your other work, do you ever look at the UK and how... Um, racism for example affects the system even within the uk which is itself a ramification of colonialism um yeah so basically we can see that uh climate the climate crisis affects the global south the most but we also um have seen that in the in the uk um like i think in london particularly um 
black people will be more likely to be um, affected by air pollution than their white counterparts. Um, black Lives Matter UK did a brilliant protest a few years ago at London City Airport where they shut down the airport um, for a while to highlight this, to say that um, yeah, racism also um, continues in the UK and, um, and also because Black Lives Matter mostly focused on police violence and um, they wanted to like highlight this, this, this correlation that um, it is the system that is generally being, being racist and if we, and, and we, they wanted to say that the climate crisis is a racist crisis um, and we can see that with yeah, the, the, the global south being more, more affected by, climate, by the climate crisis and by um, mm. people from the global south in, in, in the global north being most affected by the climate crisis. And I suppose that uh, the XR policy that we first had uh, as a way of rebelling by getting arrested also is in a kind of uh, sensitive point uh, for that. Mm, yeah, I think it, um, talking to a lot of my friends and seeing it myself firsthand, it is very alienating for um, people of colour, um, having this whole love of love of the police um, tactic in, in XR, because um, the police are institutionally racist. Um, you are far more likely to get stopped and searched if you are um, if you are black in in the UK, and also there have been lots of um, deaths in police custody, um, um, which are um, mostly black and brown people being killed by the police. Um, and so, when you see if you have experienced police violence, or you know that you you could be experiencing police violence because of the color of your skin and you go to a protest where people are saying, we love you, we love the police. Um, it just makes you feel un unwelcome, really. It makes you feel like these people don't, don't understand where I'm coming from and they're on the side of the oppressor. Um, so yeah, that is a really big critique that, that we have. Um, that that um, yeah, me and my friends, me and Cameron have um, also our, our youth network, um, our Future Now, which are part of Global Justice Rebellion. That's why we feel like we can't fully be part of XR until it really addresses these, these issues that are so alienating for um, people of colour. So would you, um, would you suggest that we change strategies or do we, you know, what could be kind of a solution for XR? So... I think when we've thought about this in Global Justice Rebellion, we've thought that there is basically, there has to be a diversity of tactics. Relying on any one tactic, if that one tactic's exclusionary, is not good, but also isn't good strategically. So we need to have multiple different tactics aimed to put the pressure on the government. Mm. So like what? So one thing that particularly inspires me is why can't we have... Um, a mass mobilization here in London that is linked with mobilizations in the global south, one which targets the headquarters of international finance and corporations, and one which targets their actual operations in the global south. We can think of many different ways to incorporate non-arrestable and other creative actions that also incorporate global justice and bring in far more people than we would be able to do currently. For some people, it's hard to feel uh, like they care a lot about groups in which across the world they don't know a lot about. But if we begin to build those links, like we've been doing in the youth network with video calls with activists in the global south, this is something that can build up for a 
a whole new kind of movement. So what are other groups doing about uh, global justice, both nationally and abroad? So one example I like to think about is the Kurdish region of Rojava in Syria. So this is a region of Syria inhabited by an ethnic minority called the Kurds. And for the last few decades, um, the, uh, the government of Syria has systematically underdeveloped the region. It's kicked people off their land and replaced, the, replaced it with mass plantations owned by Syrian Arabs. So it was a form of internal colonization. Um, during the Syrian civil war, the Kurdish uh, people created their own zone of the country and they were able to sort of self-determine their government for the first time in, in I think, ever in that region. And in Rojava right now, you have uh, special forms of local democracy, uh, special forms of, of feminist organizations and uh, an economy that's mainly controlled by cooperatives. So that means all of us together. Um, but at the same time, they're planting thousands and thousands of trees because the people are in charge there, not corporations and not distant governments. This kind of organisation really gives me hope for the future. I have, um, going back to the kind of green colonialism idea, though, I've also heard of bad practice in that area where, for example, in order to you know, increase carbon sinks, then parts of forests have been taken over and the indigenous people thrown off. Uh, so that obviously isn't what we're, what we're looking for. Um, do you have an, another example, Rosanna? Um, of good practice, I think. Good practice. Oh, have bad ones. <laughs> I think okay, give us some bad um, ones. Yeah, there's examples of carbon offsetting. Um, so corporations um, essentially like buying up lands. I think in, in, in Brazil, there's been examples in Uganda as well, um, buying up forest lands and being like, oh, we've got to protect it. We've got to like buy more trees. So are these people who have kind of, they've gone for what we in XR might think of as a greenwash by saying we're going to, as a corporation, go carbon neutral. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so um, they're taking up it, uh, um, yeah, indigenous people's lands and we're, they're saying, oh, we're, yeah, we're decreasing our carbon emissions, but really you're just um, displacing people. You're taking away people's lands. So that is an example of green colonialism. Um, I also wanted to talk about, um, I guess, what groups are doing and what, what we can do more of. Um, and yeah, we, for an, exa an example that we're doing with Our Future Now, the youth network is um, climate justice workshops. And we actually ran a training quite recently and we had people from XR there who are setting up new groups and saying that, I know that XR does this um, like obligatory training. But yeah, one of the ideas is to have this kind of climate justice training. So it's not just um, on tactics, but also understanding when you're saying we're fighting for climate justice, what does that mean? And in these yeah. workshops, we really dig deep into uh, what a capitalism and colonialism equals the climate crisis. And, and yeah, by spreading that knowledge, um, by really decolonizing our minds, we, we can be building this, this future that we want to see. Brilliant. Cameron, your positive future, what does it look <laughs> like? <laughs> so, I, I mean, whenever I hear things like this, it is scary and frankly demotivating. What the hell can we do if it's not just climate, but also colonialism, all these things that have existed for hundreds of years. But I always also think that 
because the climate crisis affects so many people in so many ways, it just means that as environmental activists, we have so many allies that we can call on. We can call on migrants' rights activists, we can call on trade unionists, we can call on the whole lot, and we can create a coalition that has a lot of power. And in terms of like what we'd wanna gear ourselves towards, when we solve the climate crisis, we're looking, you know, and we solve it properly and talking about uh, global justice, we're looking at a future where we all have bountiful free time. We don't have to make things we don't need. We have free public transport and public services. So it's easier for us not to use cars. We have community owned local energy and we respect each other. We don't oppress each other. And we've made a world that's really built for us, not for profits. Mm. So, Rosanna, if people are really interested in getting involved with Global Justice Now, what can they do? Um, so they can go to our website, um, globaljustice.org.uk, um, and they can also follow um, us on Twitter, so that's at Global Justice UK. And, yes, you can find out more about our workshops if you want to come along, if you want to also do a training and then run a workshop. Um, we're going to be doing some workshops in Camden soon and we'll be going across the country as well so yeah check us out. Thank you so much it's been really fascinating I've been really touched and moved by some of the stories and uh, some of the issues that you've brought forward. Would you mind thanking our guests thank you. To finish the episode, we want to share with you some sounds from around the world to highlight what it's like to be part of XR Actions globally. We did an international call out to XR groups and received sounds from XR Actions from all over the world, which Phil Smith wove together into the piece you're about to hear. So we've got Argentina, Brazil, Ecuador, Pakistan, Israel, Sri Lanka, Australia, South Africa, India, Ghana, and Finland. So close your eyes and imagine you are surrounded by an Extinction Rebellion action. Imagine flags, colors, loads of people. This is what you would hear. in New Delhi and soon we'll start marching towards Ministry of Climate Change, Forest and Environment. Much power to Delhi rebels.
Es que necesitamos seguir generando ganancia para nuestros inversores. Por eso necesitamos sacar gas y petróleo. Necesitamos seguir sacando gas y petróleo. ¡Viva el fracking! ¡Viva el fracking! Gracias, queridos argentinos, por permitirnos seguir destruyendo el mundo con fracking, con extracción de gas y petróleo a costa de toda la vida, a costa de todos los ecosistemas de las nuevas generaciones. Gracias. Sigamos, por favor, avanzando juntos. Paguen los impuestos, no se olviden. My name is Raisa Nur Mohammed. I am 17 years old and I have a message for the Department of Environmental Affairs and the rest of the South African government. The climate emergency is getting worse and worse. People and animals are dying. We need to act fast and we need to act now. South Africa is already feeling the effects of climate change. The heat and droughts we are experiencing is a result of global warming. And over the next few years, the weather conditions will get more extreme. We need to do everything we can to combat the effects of climate change. de septiembre huelga mundial por el clima es ahora 
o nunca. Who've told us what we have to do? And so we have to rise up now. 